الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اذكروا الله ذكرا كثيرا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المصنين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم so um, as I was mentioning, we've been covering uh, this text. We covered it previously. Al-Wabil al-Sayyib min al-Kalim al-Tayyib. It's a text written by Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah, rahimahullah, who was a very great scholar from Damascus. Um, and uh, his teacher, his primary teacher that he attributes himself to is Ibn al-Qayyim, sorry, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah. Um, and he himself, Ibn al-Qayyim, has had many great students. You know, Ibn Kathir was one of his students. Um, uh, Ibn al-Rajab al-Hambali was one of his students. So he was a very prolific scholar and one of the greatest scholars uh, when it comes to the spiritual sciences. You know, if you ever want to learn about authentic tazkiyat uh, al-nafs and purification of the soul, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim is like that person to go to. I mean, he's written so much and he's seen it from so many different angles, right? He had a teacher that was relatively strict, you can say, on some of the principles of the sawuf. Um, and so Ibn al-Qayyim learned it that way, but then he had a very balanced view overall of the sawuf and tazkiyat al-nafs. And so um, if there's someone that you want to, to benefit from, I mean, he's, he was a very prolific scholar, very, very prolific scholar. So he has many writings, and in this writing in particular, he took it upon himself to compile um, a, you can say, a, a text on, uh, on on the invocation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the English translation of this is, it's, it's actually not, al-Wabid al-Sayyib refers to like a rainstorm, but uh, the invocation of God, okay, which is to call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and so this entire text is dedicated to what it means to call on Allah, what dhikr is, what dhikr is about, um, how to engage in dhikr. Um, and then the third section of the text, which is the one that we were covering last time, he lists off uh, the section called the the many benefits of remembrance, right? the many be benefits of remembrance. And there's 70 or so, you know, not less than 100, but 70 or so benefits that he remembers that he that he mentions of dhikr, of dhikr, which roughly translates as making mention of or remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And um, so uh, there's many benefits. Last time we had gotten up to about 35, although we didn't uh, cover all 35, but we covered up to point thirty-five, uh, and a little bit beyond that. Um, and so this is point number 36 that we're going to begin with, inshallah. Um, so just to keep in mind what he's what we're referring to when we're talking about the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to remember Allah and to remember Him abundantly because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu dhkurullaha dhikran kathira that those of you who believe remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly. Um, and so uh, any mention of Allah or any remembrance of Allah be it through your tongue or be it through your heart is considered dhikr. Okay? So of all of the benefits of, 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 of dhikr and athkar, we're on number 36. So the section is called Remembrance as Light. For the invoker, the one who invokes and calls upon Allah, remembrance is a light, a nur in this world. It will be a light for him in his grave and at the appointed meeting just ahead on the bridge. Neither hearts nor graves are illuminated by anything compared to the remembrance of Allah. For he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, said, uh, كَانَ مَيْتًا فَأَحْيَيْنَا وَجَعَلْنَا لَهُ نُورًا يَمْشِي بِهِ فِي النَّاسِ 
the um, okay. So what he's highlighting here, we we understand we should understand this concept first. That there's this notion in our deen that we think of as light. So when you and I think about light, we think about light as um, a reflection of something, right? Either light is emanated or created by some sort of energy source, such as a sun uh, or a light bulb. Um, but the vast majority of what we see is 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 light that's reflected upon something, and then it kind of lands on our retina, and then we can actually perceive it. Um, so there's light that you can that there's light. So there's there are things that create light, right? And then there are things that reflect light. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in one place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the light, right? He is the light of the heavens and of the earth. So um, the way to think about it is this. Every believer, they have within them this light. And that light allows them to see right from wrong. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed this in the heart of every believer. Um, we have this light that we possess. And the idea is that, we, uh, that this light grow within us so that we can begin to see uh, what other people are not able to see. Right? When it's dark and there's darkness around and you have the person that has a flashlight or has their phone with a flashlight on it uh, and they can shine it and see, that person has an advantage. They can see uh, what other people are not able to see. So this is what he's referring to when he's talking about light. So for the invoker, meaning the person that calls on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nur, or sorry, remembrance, dhikr is a light. It's a nur in this world. It will be a light for him in his grave in the appointed meeting time. Okay, so the advantage of dhikr isn't just that it will become a nur for you in the hereafter, which we're going to cover in a moment. But Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah is saying, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah is saying that it will also be a nur for you in this world. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, أَوَمَنْ كَانَ مَيْتًا فَأَحْيَيْنَاهُ Or is he one who was dead and we gave him life? And made for him a light by which he might walk among people. Um, like the one who is in a darkness from which he cannot emerge. Meaning there's a difference between people that have light in their heart, which are believers, and people that don't have light in their heart, which are people that don't believe in Allah. And they, don't, they aren't able to see clearly. When a person engages in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the light that's already present in them because it's the light of Iman, that light becomes stronger. It goes from, you know, maybe a 40-watt bulb to a 100-watt bulb so that you can see more clearly right from wrong. You can see more clearly what's true and what's not true. You can see more clearly what reality is and what deception is. And the way to grow that ability is through the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so it helps you uh, differentiate reality from mirage. Like if you want to, you know, for instance, we know that the akhirah is our goal and the dunya really does nothing here for us. But for the vast majority of Muslims, we're caught up in the dunya, myself included, all of us included. We're so caught in the dunya because all we see is the dunya, right? The light that we have, the degree of light that we have, it only shines upon what's around us. And so we see, oh, if we do this and we'll make this much money, if we drive this and we'll feel a certain way, and if we purchase this and we may look like this in front of other people, all we are seeing is dunya. Right? So our light is there, but it's not bright. But when a person engages in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dhikr abundantly, that light increases within their heart. So then their attention goes away from the dunya and now they can see beyond the dunya. The light is brighter. So that the akhirah becomes illuminated. And now all they're really seeing, they see the dunya, which is really small, this tiny little thing in front of them. But then the backdrop is Jannah and Jahannam and the Day of Judgment and the, and the grave and all of this they're seeing. So when you see all of that, Naturally, the dunya is going to become minimized, right? The dunya is going to be less of a priority for you. The akhirah becomes a priority. But if your light is, is you know, a small little flashlight that only shines on this one little area in front of you, the, the dunya is all you're going to be able to see. But when you increase in your dhikr of Allah, then in this world, 
your light becomes brighter, the noodle becomes brighter, and then you can actually see beyond the backdrop shows up. All of a sudden, you see everything. You can kind of think about it like if in theater, right? And you have on stage, you have this spotlight that shows on this person, uh, even though there's like this dark back. There's there's a lot in the background, but you can't see. It's very dark, right? And all of a sudden, they turn on all the lights, and you get to see this entire backdrop, right? And you're just like, whoa, that's actually what what's actually going on. That's what the does, right? It's like it switches you from this tiny spotlight or searchlight where you just it's just focus on one thing, the dunya, and then all of a sudden, boom, right? Lights go on, and everything you see the whole backdrop, and you see the um, uh, you see the whole display, right? So that's what the does. Number number one is it really benefits you when it comes to this world. So then he says, um, so it's a light for you in this world. It will be a light for him, meaning the believer, in his grave, and at the appointed meeting just ahead. So dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also acts as a light for us in our grave. Now, think about life in the grave. What's it like? You've all been to graveyards, and you've seen what it's like. I mean, there's a coffin, or if you go without a coffin, but you see the hole, it's pitch black in there, right? You pitch black. Now you start putting dirt, or you shut the coffin down and pour dirt on top. How dark is it, right? That's physical darkness that we know is there, and everyone has to experience that to some degree. But then there's a spiritual darkness that also occurs when you're in the grave, right? Uh, this is why the Prophet ﷺ, he would always make dua uh, for, the, for the time in the grave. Because it's dark in there. It's dark in the grave. And we need light, right? So Ibn al-Qayyim is saying that this dhikr of Allah, it acts as a light for a person while they're in their grave. You know, the Aisha radiallahu anha once, um, a, a Jewish lady had come to Aisha and um, she had... Uh, uh, asked Aisha radiallahu anha uh, she had mentioned this dua about protection from the punishment of the grave she was Jewish so Aisha radiallahu anha she came to the Prophet sallallahu and she asked the Prophet sallallahu like is this is this such a thing that there's such a thing as punishment in the grave so the Prophet sallallahu told her yes there's, there's de- that is a definite reality punishment in the grave is a definite reality so then she narrates that after that day she never the, that she uh, always wit- that with every salah she witnessed the Prophet ﷺ making dua in every salah for protection from the grave. Right? So it's a reality. And so it's dark. We've heard about the punishment. Now when we're in the grave and we're there for hundreds of thousands of years potentially, we need light. Right? Not just light so that we can see what's around in our coffin, but light so that we can see what our Jannah is going to look like. Right? Light so that we don't have to be as afraid and we can see what reward we're going to be getting in the Akhirah. Light so that we can see beyond just the darkness of of the of the creatures of, of, of the grave. So what's the way by which you illuminate your grave? How, what, what's the way? Through the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Then there's many mentions of this. The Quran comes and protects you in your grave. But in particular, the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it lights up the grave. Okay, then Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah says, um, uh, and at the appointed meeting just ahead on the bridge. So the sirat as well. And this, that whole experience on the Day of Judgment, you know, um, it's, it's, for, the, for those people that don't believe in Allah, it's a very dark day. It's a very dark day. Not just people that don't believe in Allah. For a person who transgresses in this world, it's a very dark day. You know, the Prophet said in another hadith, uh, that oppression, right? And all of us engage in some sort of oppression, be it toward Allah or toward other people or toward our parents or toward our siblings or toward the community or toward whoever. The Prophet, the Prophet said that, that oppression on the Day of Judgment, it's a darkness. It's a darkness in the Day of Judgment. So on that day when we need light the most, where are we going to get it from? What's the source going to be? 
is going to be from the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, and this is another verse, يَوْمَ تَرَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ يَسْعَى نُورُهُمْ بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ um, That uh, do you not see, or do you see, do you see the believers uh, and the believing men and the believing women? يَسْعَى نُورُهُمْ That their light is, uh, is walking. يَسْعَى نُورُهُمْ بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ Walking before them. وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ And, and uh, with their right hand. Like there's this light that's emanating in front of them and from their right hand. Um, that's a reality. Right? And on that dark day, on the day when we need it most, where are we going to get light from? It's going to be through the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through reciting Qur'an, through righteous deeds, and all of these things in particular, all of these things generally, but in particular when it comes to the recitation of the Qur'an as well. So, um, think deeply about the Day of Judgment. Right? Like, if I, if I want to have some sort of light on that day, and that very dark day, when I will be questioned before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything I've done, where I'm trying to cross this very thin bridge to get to my destination, and I, you know, I could use all the light possible so that I don't stumble and fall and trip over and enter into the pits of Jahannam, I need light. So uh, Allah says, you know, do you, do you see the believing men and the believing women? يَسْعَى نُورُهُمْ That their nur, their nur is walking with them. It's walking with them. Or before them. بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ And in their right hands. You know, some ulama say, وَبِأَيْمَانِهِمْ refers to the right hand. Meaning, you, we all know that in the Day of Judgment, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reviews our book of deeds that we've been writing for our entire life, it'll be given back to us either in our right hand or it'll be given back to us in our left hand. Right? وَمَا Right? The person will get their book back in their right hand and they'll say, Wow, I did such a good job. And then there'll be people who get it in their left hand. <laughs> they'll say, Oh my goodness. I wish I would never even existed. I didn't know this was coming to me. Right? Like that's just darkness in the left hand. So some ulama say that when you get your book back in your right hand, this is now your light. Right? This is the flashlight that you can use on the day of judgment. Right? This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has meant by saying, that this is your nur, your deeds that you performed in your right hand. So don't take you know, this concept of light lightly. Right? It's real. And if you want to illuminate this world with brightness so that you can see clearly, engage in Allah's remembrance. If you want to engage, if you want to illuminate your grave so that it's bright, become deep in your remembrance of Allah. If you want to illuminate uh, or be able to see on the Day of Judgment with light, on the Day of Judgment when you need it most, then engage deeply in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then he says, um, So the ayah, We gave him life and made for him a light by which he may walk amongst the people. Um, uh, actually, let's, let's continue. The concern of all concerns, the success of all successes is in this light. Nur. The concern of all concern, the success of all successes is in this light. The misery of all miseries is to lose it. Is to lose nur. The misery of all miseries is to lose light. What does it mean to lose light completely? Like, how would your candle be blown out completely? With the, iman, with the loss of iman. Right? So the biggest concern of the believer at any given point in time is that I'm going to lose this light altogether. So let's put it this way. Every believer has, this, has, a, has a flame, right? Has a flame. You have the opportunity to expand that flame so that it becomes as large as a bonfire through the remembrance of Allah. Or through heedlessness of Allah, you have the opportunity to extinguish that flame. When that flame is blown out, 
it's very difficult to bring it back. You know this, right? I mean, if you have a fire, you can take that fire and you can hook it up to 20 different candles and light up every single one of them. You could take a fire and hook it up to some wood, right? A tiny candle flame, hook it up to a couple candle flames, maybe some paper, put it in wood, and then it expands very quickly, right? But once that fire has been extinguished from the flame, from a candle, for instance, how are, the only way you're going to bring it back to life is to resuscitate it with another flame altogether. It can't just spontaneously come back. Right? There's no spontaneity. It doesn't come back on its own. So in the same way, Iman, every believer has, has a flame within them. And through the dhikr of Allah, they can expand that flame so that it becomes, it grows and it becomes like this bright light and this, this passion. Right? It grows. Or the misery of all miseries is that a person loses their iman altogether, which is on the other extreme. And that's the worst thing that can happen to a human being. You could lose everything in this world. But if that flame goes out, you've lost, you really have lost everything. You really have lost everything. You know, ask a parent who's lost a child, whose child has lost iman, doesn't believe in Allah, like what sort of suffering they go through, the du'as they make for that child. I mean, they do anything. They do anything to be able to light that child's heart with iman again. But they realized, I mean, if the child was engaged in Allah's remembrance from an early age and they made that a priority for their child, or we ourselves make it a priority for ourselves, then less chance of that going out, right? It's harder to extinguish a bonfire. You can extinguish a candle flame, just blow on it. A little breeze goes through and, and it's done, right? So there's, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, you know, four or five years ago, there was, I was sitting in Artikaf once and uh, uh, there was this uh, uncle that had come to me. And uh, I think he was in Artikaf and also, and he just he was in Atikaf, he spent time with us for a few days and then he just came and he just started like crying and uh you could see this the pain in his heart like in his eyes you could see it and i was thinking like there's only one thing this could be this person's child doesn't believe anymore and that per he said that i don't know what happened to my son but and he's just begging me to make dua make dua make dua for his son so that he can come back to islam like, that's a, that's a very difficult experience to have to go through, right? To see a family member like that. And, um, but anyways, so this is what Imam Ibn Qayyim is saying, that the concern of all concerns, like, we, concern, we have a concern for a lot of things. How am I going to still have my job? You know, people are being laid off. Am I going to be the next one to go? Am I going to get into the top college of my choice? Am I going to marry the, the person of my dreams? He's saying the concern of all concerns, the success of all successes is in this light. The misery of all miseries is to lose it. You want to be the worst misery to experience in this world is if you lost this light and you lost your iman. This is why the Prophet asked his Lord so fervently to put light in his flesh and bones, muscles, hair and skin, his hearing and sight, above and beneath him, on his right and on his left, behind him and before him, saying, And make me of light. In short, he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, would ask his Lord to make every particle of his inner and outer being into light, to encompass him with light from every side, and to make his essence and totality light. This was a dua of the Prophet sallallahu You probably heard this. It's narrated in Bukhari and Muslim, right? Allahumma ja'al fi qalbi nura wa fi basari nura wa fi... Uh, wa fi um, um, uh, and it continues. He goes to his he goes to his flesh and his bones, walahmi and things. So it's a very unique dua. It's in Bukhari and Muslim. This dua, the Prophet What is it meant by that? Why would he want his limbs to become illuminated? I mean, is there a physical you know illumination? No, right? There's no physical illumination. It's a spiritual or metaphysical illumination. And then and then he wanted light to be from underneath him, right? From light to be behind him, so that so that 
uh, as a lesson for all of us that like without light we can't see we're just blind we're left in the dark and that's what the rest of the world is you know despite us living in 2019 when we have led light bulbs and despite us having you know street lights that are uh you know megawatts right everyone's just living in darkness right and then you go to medina 1400 years ago or Mecca 1400 years ago there's no light there's no electricity there's no phones there's no technology period illuminated in fact so illuminated that today we reference a city that's 1400 years old as medina munawwara the illuminated city there was no light back then. Yeah, now we look at it and we say, wow, there's so much light there. And look at these LEDs that they've put up. And I can see even at nighttime and, you know, uh, the, the hotels are lit up in this way. But Medina Munawara was Munawara before all of this electricity. It was Munawara 1,400 years ago when the Prophet had ignited this flame. And then the Sahaba maintained it. Right? So the, uh, so the Prophet wanted uh, for us to also have this sort of light. So, uh, so he says, uh, in short, he وسلم, would ask his Lord to make every particle of his inner and outer being into light, to encompass him with light from every side and to make his essence and totality light. So if we seek light as well, then be very deep in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, the next point that Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah mentions. Um, the next point that we're going to mention. Uh, invitation to sanctity, al-wilayah. Remembrance, dhikr, is the foremost principle of faith, the way of the most, uh, the way of most of the faithful, and an invitation to sanctity. The door unto God opens to the one for whom remembrance is open. This is very deep. So let him purify himself and enter unto his Lord, and there he shall find all he wants. For if he finds his Lord, his Allah, he finds everything. And if he loses his Allah, he loses everything. Okay. So, number one, remembrance is a foremost principle of faith, the way of the mo of most of the faithful. So, when we look at um, when we okay, so the prophet, you know, this is there's a hadith of the prophet that says, "Yadullahi al jama'ah," that the hand of Allah subhanahu wa taala is on the jama'ah, the congregation, meaning that the the ummah, you know, the group of the the larger the congregation of believers. And I remember when my teacher had covered this hadith, he mentioned this very important principle that, look, that doesn't mean a group of believers in present day. It means the group of believers dating back to the Prophet ﷺ. So whatever there was consensus and agreement upon something, that's where the barakah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lies. Okay? So now, Ibn al-Qayyim is saying, remembrance is the foremost principle of faith. So dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this isn't something that should sit on the back burner, number one. This is something that should be at the forefront of deen and at the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. And unfortunately, in today's day and age, in 2019, uh, you know, it's put on the back burner. No one talks about it. No one engages in it. No one discusses it. It's not a topic of a khutbah. It's not the topic of a, of a program, really, ever. Uh, the extent of dhikr that we know is that after I pray, I sit down and I say, SubhanAllah, 33 times. I say, Alhamdulillah, 33 times. And I say, Allah, for 33 or 34 times. That's my understanding of what dhikr of Allah is. But there's obviously so much more to it. And traditionally, going all the way back to the Prophet's time, it was at the forefront of deen. It was a priority. In fact, there were majalis of dhikr. There were gatherings of dhikr. People were engaged in dhikr. People were talking about dhikr. And dhikr means not just you know, sitting and reciting Allah's name, but reciting the book of Allah and praying toward Allah and all these forms of adhkar. These were all, um, according to our history, this was at the forefront of our deen. And it's now, you know, centuries later, kind of fallen 
in the backdrop so that now there's the community is more focused on other other things so he's saying remembrance is a foremost principle of faith number one number two it is the way of most of the faithful it is the way of most of the faithful now he's writing this you know more or less a thousand years ago but at that time the people that had faith in allah dhikr was their way that's what he's saying dhikr was their way and even today it, it, it applies as well we, we don't neglect this aspect of our deen, just like we don't neglect other aspects of our deen. We don't neglect giving sadaqah and charity. We don't neglect you know, being involved in the community. We don't neglect responsibility toward our parents and toward our children. The way we don't neglect any of these things, and a lot of attention is given to them in the greater community, recognize that dhikr should also be given a lot of attention. And the way of the people of the past has always been the way of dhikr. Right? That's what he's saying. And so, if you want to tie yourself in with this um, monster, of, with, with, sorry, with this, with this giant tradition of our deen, then, 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 don't, then don't neglect the dhikr of Allah. Number three, and it's an invitation to sanctity, which we're going to go over. The door unto Allah opens to the one for whom remembrance is opened. The door unto Allah opens to the one for whom remembrance is opened. This is very deep. What he's saying is that if you're looking to open the door to Allah, uh, no, let's put it this way. Um, if you want the door open to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the way to enter through that door, uh, sorry, the, 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 is through the remembrance of Allah. But he's not saying that this is something that you can actively do. He's saying, for whom remembrance is opened. For whom remembrance is open, meaning... That the ability to do dhikr and to engage in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's partly effort, uh, but it's largely tawfiq. It's partly effort and largely tawfiq. So the fact that I myself am struggling with being consistent in my routine of dhikr, it's not just that I'm struggling and I, you know, I, I, I'm trying, I'm trying, but it's just not working and I need to try harder. It's not just that I need to try harder. It's actually, a, wow, the door hasn't yet been opened for me. And that's a problem. Because we can put effort in, right? You can go from 10%, 20% to 100%, and you could do that relatively quickly. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't opened that door so that you can remember Him, you will never be able to remember Him. So there's a, a lot that you take from this, right? One is that, okay, well, that starts to make sense now. You know, the reason that I've been so inconsistent in my deen is because I haven't been given tawfiq by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to become consistent in deen. The reason that I'm not someone who's a dhakir, Allah mentions in the Quran, وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ The reason that I'm not from amongst the dhakirin, people that remember Allah abundantly, it's not because I'm not trying hard enough, it's because Allah has, doesn't want me to be from, Allah hasn't allowed me to be from that group yet. Right? That's a problem. That's a major problem. Because no matter what effort you put in, if Allah hasn't opened the door, then, uh, then it doesn't make a difference. So then you, you, you can look at that globally, right? This means that, um, for instance, unless Allah, you know, unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows a person to, be, to, to recognize him, they won't become Muslim, okay, globally, then individually, on our, on our, in particular to us, right? Uh, if I look at my own life and I look at my own routine and I see that I'm, I've tried for years, I'm trying to become consistent in my dhikr, I'm trying to become consistent in reciting the Qur'an, Take a step back and say, hold on, is there something else here at play? I mean, is it just that I'm lazy? There's something else at play. It's that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't opened the door for us yet. And that's a problem. So part of our attention, even while we're here, 
is to ask Allah that, Ya Allah, I'm going to put in my effort, but Ya Allah, with, unless you open the door so that I could become from amongst those people that remember you, I'm lost. Unless you open the door, I'm not going to remember you. This, this is tawfiq. Allah has to give you tawfiq to remember him. Right? So this is what he's saying. Um, the door unto Allah opens to the one for whom dhikr or remembrance is opened. So think deeply about this. That how much tawfiq has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given me? And ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tawfiq so that you can be successful in your dhikr. If you're someone who you know that you should, you should be reciting Qur'an every single day without fail, be it Ramadan or outside of Ramadan, and yet time and time again, week after week, year after year, you're still in that same rut, stuck, not being able to lift the Qur'an off the shelf. It's not, it may not be your effort. Maybe it's not your effort. It's probably the tawfiq that, you, that you're lacking. So... Uh, and, and to target tawfiq is a whole other discussion, right? But uh, it but it it largely sits around asking from Allah to open the door. So 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 keep that in mind. If you're someone who doesn't pray, it's, it's salah. Being able to pray salah. I know when we hear people give talks on this topic and we hear it in the community, you know, pray, 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 brother. Everyone should pray. Khutbahs are about prayer, prayer, prayer. Um, but uh, there's more to being able to be a regular musalli, you know, than putting in an effort. It's, if Allah doesn't want you to pray, you are not going to pray. You know, Allah doesn't need your prayer. He doesn't need your dhikr. He doesn't need your Quran. If, so we're that dependent on Allah. If Allah's not, if, if you want to be someone who's regular in Fajr at the masjid, then you've been trying to be consistent at Fajr in the masjid, and it's not four years later and you're still stuck. Ask Allah, like, what is it? Not, not anybody just gets to go to pray Fajr in the masjid. There is a select few of Allah's servants that He's given tawfiq to come. Ya Allah. Can you make me from amongst that group next time? You know, I'm going to set my alarm. It's not working. I'm going to tell my wife to wake me up or my husband to wake me up. Not working. Something's, something's missing here. Something needs, a, something needs our attention. So he says, So let him purify himself and, unter, and enter unto his Allah, and there he shall find all he wants. For if he finds his Allah, he finds everything. Um, and if he finds his Allah, sorry, and if he loses his Allah, he loses everything. So, um, the second point he's mentioning here is that we're nothing without Allah. Um, and uh, w without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're nothing. Right? We're nothing in this world, we're nothing in the hereafter. If we lose our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there's no, I mean, really, there's nothing here for us. There's nothing else. There's nothing but Allah. I mean, ultimately, on the Day of Judgment, in our eternity, which is a hundred million times longer than our life in this world, Allah is going to choose where we're going to go. He's the one that's making that decision ultimately. If we choose to disconnect with Allah in this world, then you expect, imagine what your eternity will be. Right? There's nothing but Allah in the sense that Allah created us. If it wasn't for Allah, you and I wouldn't be here. You know, if it wasn't for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we, we wouldn't be in existence. Nothing would be in existence. The whole universe would not be in existence if it wasn't for Allah. So how could it be that this being who's so magnificent, so powerful, that he's created everything, he will destroy everything, he will then replace and put everything where it needs to go ultimately into its final destination and final abode, which is eternity. You know, how could you lose your connection with Allah? If you lose Allah, Ibn al-Qayyim is saying you lose everything. Um, if you find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you found everything. Then he says, in the heart, there is an emptiness and a need which nothing can satisfy except the remembrance of Allah. Wherever he is, the tongue will follow. Wherever he meaning, wherever like the, the heart is, the tongue will follow. Um, this is the remembrance which fills that, that emptiness and satisfies that need. 
He who practices it is rich without possessions, honored without followers, and revered without rank. One who neglects it is by contrast poor with all his wealth, abased with all his rank and power, worthless with all his followers. Okay. In the heart there is an emptiness and a need which nothing can satisfy except the remembrance of Allah. This is, this is a very strong statement. And it, when someone makes this strong of a statement, it has to be backed by the Qur'an. What does he say? In the heart there is an emptiness. Meaning that the heart is, can be filled with things, but there will always be this emptiness. And a need which nothing can satisfy. Nothing. Absolutely nothing can satisfy. You can look and try to fill your heart with it. It will not be satisfied. You can fill it with meditation. You can fill it with yoga. You can fill it with money. You can fill it with your dream home. You can fill it with marijuana. You can fill it with whatever you want to fill it with. Right? This emptiness that you're looking for in your heart. And he's saying, Ibn Qayyim is saying, it's a need that you have in your heart, this emptiness, that nothing can satisfy except the remembrance of Allah. Absolutely nothing can satisfy. You, can't, you, won't, you, can't, you can look anywhere, you won't be able to fill it. And this is based in the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. Right? الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَطْمَئِنُّ قُلُوبُهُمْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبُ That verily it is in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do hearts find contentment and satisfaction. So the emptiness, if you want to fill it, the only way you can fill it is through the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no one is exempt from this. Right? People that believe in Allah and if you don't believe in Allah, you, you, will never, you can never be fully fulfilled. Completely fulfilled. Your heart will never be completely fulfilled unless you engage in Allah's remembrance. Why? Because Allah Himself said it in the Quran. When the remembrance becomes the watchword of the heart, then the servant continuously remembers Allah. So, dhikr is an active process, but eventually when you engage in it, it becomes passive. Right? A dhakir, a person who remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not someone who sits around and says, Allah, 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 all day long. Or walks around and, you know, while they're shopping and is actively saying, La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, subhanallah, alhamdulillah. That's not what, a, that's not what someone who's constantly in Allah's remembrance is. But that active effort of remembering in Allah results in a passive effect later on. So that when you engage in Allah's remembrance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually defines what is الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهِ He mentions it in Surah Al-Imran. الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ The people that remember Allah are those people who remember Him qiyaman wa qu'udan wa ala junubihim. They're standing, whether they're lying down on their sides, whether they're sitting down. That's what the remembrance of Allah really is. But how do you get to that state where you're always, you can say, conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's through engaging in Allah's remembrance. So, the more effort you put in when you're in the masjid, when you're in i'tikaf, when you're sitting after salah, when you're reciting Qur'an, the effort that you put in in Allah's remembrance then, it then uh, puts your, your heart into the state of wuquf, and you're stuck on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. And that is really what the goal is, right? Now, there's a reward associated with saying la ilaha illallah. There's a reward associated with remembering Allah actively. But your, the purpose of actively remembering Allah isn't just that reward. It's to take you from this active state into this passive state where you're just someone who remembers Allah and is conscious of Allah at all times and all places. So when you're interacting with your family, your heart is remembering Allah. When you're at the store, your heart is remembering Allah. When you're at work, when you're at school, your heart is remembering Allah, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, in the heart, there is a, so when remembrance becomes the watchword of the heart, once your heart reaches that state, then... Um, uh, then the servant continuously remembers Allah. Now you're in this continuous state of Allah's remembrance. Now you're in this continuous state of Allah's remembrance. When remembrance, be, uh, wherever he is, 
the tongue will follow. The tongue then follows through after that. So if your heart is consciously remembered in Allah, then for instance, when you're entering the bathroom, you know, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika and the dua automatically comes out. Or la ilaha illallah automatically comes out. Or inna lillahi wa inna ilaha automatically comes out. The reality has to be present in your heart before before it just comes on your tongue. Otherwise, it's just lip service. Um, this is the remembrance which fills that emptiness and satisfies that need. This is the remembrance that fills the emptiness and satisfies that need. Whoever, sorry, he who practices it is rich without possessions, honored without followers, and revered without rank. And one who neglects it by contrast is poor with all his wealth, abased with all his rank, worthless with all his followers. Look, the first benefit he's mentioning in the, from this subset is that you become mutma'in, right? It fulfills your heart with the satisfaction. It, it fills this emptiness that cannot be replaced with anything else you look for. And I'm telling you, today, Muslims, young Muslims, there's so much emptiness in the heart, they're looking everywhere to try to fill it. Maybe I can fill it if I can get enough likes on my you know, Facebook page, or if I can get enough uh, people to retweet what I just posted. Maybe if I can get enough people to follow me on Instagram, then I can fill this emptiness in my heart. It's not going to be filled. You will remain empty. Maybe if I get the newest iPhone, I can fill this emptiness. It's not going to get filled. Maybe, and then eventually you look even further. Maybe if I involve in, uh, myself in some of these practices and reflections and things like that, then I can fill this emptiness. But really, that emptiness is only going to go when you engage in Allah's remembrance. And this is why, and we talked about this in the last gathering, so I don't want to go into too much, too much into this. This is why... Um, Everyone should have a should have this as a part and parcel in their life because it will fill you more than you can be filled any other way. That's number one. The second thing he says is that dhikr should become your state. It's not an active process. It should become passive. Taqwa, God consciousness is what? What is taqwa? When we say achieve taqwa, taqwa is a continuous state of Allah's remembrance. That's what taqwa is. No matter where you are, you are conscious of Allah. But the only way you can become a muttaqi and the only way to become a true dhakir is to engage in Allah's remembrance abundantly in certain times and that fills your heart with the nur of Allah and then you become a continuous person who remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's point number two. Point number three he's saying is that it gives you what you're looking for. It gives you what you're looking for. That what, are, what is the average human being looking for? They're looking for peace, right? I mean, if you can, if you can sell peace, you'll make a million dollars. Peace in a person's heart. And he's saying... That that uh, if you practice a dhikr and you engage and you deeply engage in dhikr, then you will become rich without ever having any possessions. You don't have to be a millionaire to be rich. And then he's saying you could be honored without followers. You could be you could have the feeling of honor and be dignified and be honored without having a single person like you or uh, thumbs up you or uh, or appreciate you. That's what he's saying. How is it possible? And then he says, and um, uh, and revered without rank. You don't have to have a particular rank. You don't have to be associate professor or professor. You don't have to be manager of your, of your department. You don't have to be the father of a household. You don't have to be the imam or on the board of a community in order to you know, feel, uh, feel, feel revered. This gives it to you. And this extends into this principle. We'll probably have to stop with this. There's a principle in, in, in the psychology of, of depression. There's a lot of psychology of depression. And one of the psychologies, in, in one of the principles, 
uh, in the discussion of the psychology of depression is that um, what is it that people are looking for, right? And it's basically contentment and happiness and satisfaction. And um, the reason people, for instance, search well, look for wealth or try to become rich is because when they become rich, uh, other people look at them a certain way and they then feel good about themselves, okay? And then, um, and, and it's interesting because Ibn al-Qayyim is actually covering this here. This, this is like psychology, like, you know, 202, not even 101. He's saying, um, the reason for in, in the psychology of leadership, the reason a person wants to become a leader is because they develop this personal sense of satisfaction when other people look at them uh, as above them. And uh, same thing with reverence and rank as well. And so in psychology, they say that if you could replace, so if you could get that same feeling without actually having to put in the sacrifice required to get there, um, then you're... Um, you're getting the same thing out of it. Okay, let me let me let me explain this a different way. Let's just say that in order for you to feel happy, you have to have a million dollars in your bank account. Because when you get that million dollars, then this threshold is met and now you feel happy and satisfied. But if let's say we could rewire the brain such that we could give you that same satisfaction, would you care about getting the million dollars? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. In the same way, let's just say that in order for you to become you know, liked by a lot of, uh, honored or given a certain rank by a lot of people that you have to do X, Y, and Z things. And once you do X, Y, and Z things, then you'll get that honor and rank. And when you get that honor and rank, then you'll feel a certain way about yourself. Let's say we rewired the brain or we manipulated the brain or the mind into believing that you were actually a leader and you felt that same way, would you be just as happy? And you would, you would. Which means that you can get that same, the same pleasure that you can get from these dunyawi things, you can get it from manipulating the mind as well. Right? So it's not the pursuit of dunya that you're interested in. It's the feeling that you get from pursuing dunya that you're actually interested in. Does that make sense? It's not the pursuit that you're interested in. It's not the money that you want. It's the feeling that you get when you get that money. It's not the feeling, uh, it's not the leadership that you want. It's the feeling that you get when you're a leader. It's not the attention, sorry, it's not the uh, followers that you want on your page. It's the feeling that you get when people follow you. So the psychology of happiness dictates that if you could... Uh, that you don't, you're not actually pursuing anything. You're you're pursuing that feeling. So what Ibn al-Qayyim is basically saying is exactly this. He's saying that this is the remembrance which fills that emptiness and satisfies and, and, and satisfies that need. He who practices it is rich without possession. You don't need to be a millionaire to be rich or to get the feeling of being rich. And then he says, he who does it is honored without followers. You don't have to have a thousand followers in order to be honored. You don't have to. You can get that same feeling of honor through the dhikr of Allah. You don't have to be uh, of a certain rank or revered. You will get that rank whether, whether you're revered or not, whether you're revered or not. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting principle. So this is what he's highlighting, that um, you, will get, you can get all of these things, all of these emotions that you're looking for, all, without having to spend years and years pursuing dunya. You can get whatever that offer is. You can get it through the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in just a matter of uh, of, of, uh, of limited effort. One who neglects it by contrast is poor with all his wealth, abased with all his rank and power, and worthless with all his followers. So on the flip side, on the contrast, there are people who earn a million dollars, or, or there are billionaires who are still empty in their heart. They were searching, they wanted to fill their heart with happiness, they pursued, 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 put in effort, climbed the ranks, you know, promotion after promotion, and started company after company, and IPO after IPO, and venture capitalists, and all this, and nothing. The heart is still just as empty as it was before. 
right? There are people who climbed ranks at work and climbed ranks at school and they became this position and that position and climbed ranks in politics and their heart feels the same way as when they, were at the, when they, when they had no rank, right? So just because you have a rank doesn't mean you're getting the feeling of being ranked. Just because you, you, you have a position doesn't mean you're getting the feeling that should be associated with that position and honor. Just because you have a lot of wealth doesn't mean you're going to get the feeling of that wealth. That lies, that feeling, that emptiness that you're actually trying to fulfill with other means that only occurs to the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inshallah we'll stop here. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to, to take in uh, from these words. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to become uh, uh, regular people who remember him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us uh, from amongst those that um, engage in his dhikr abundantly. Wa akhira da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.